Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Discovering news can be good, bad, or even neutral. So for example, when I discover the news that in 1492, Columbus, you know, the whole rest of that, when I discover that news, it doesn't really impact my day-to-day life. I'm sure it was very impactful for the day-to-day life of Christopher Columbus. I'm sure it mattered a whole lot to the other explorers who were trying to find what he was trying to find. But from my perspective, it could have been 1392, it could have been 1565. Either way, I'm here now and it doesn't matter to me. It's just a discovery that is sort of neutral. Now, when I discover the news that my wife has managed to go grocery shopping and sneak back into the house with a package of Oreos that the kids never saw and get that safely to our room. That is good news. And that is news that impacts me today. Likewise, when I open the mail and the car insurance premium has arrived, And as a result of having multiple young drivers and some with, shall we say, less than stellar records, our premiums have gone up. That news impacts me dramatically. I care a lot. I'm not happy about it. It's bad news. But news can be either good or bad and impact us, or it could be, in a sense, good or bad and not impact us. Today, I want us to look at what... I would suggest is the most important discovery that we can make, the most important news as found in the Bible. I know that's a big claim, but this is news that we talk about frequently. This is news that matters. If you've never heard this news before, I trust that you will want to lean in and find out about it and hopefully be changed as a result. If this is news you've heard many times before, Continue to lean in. Continue to embrace it. This is not only good news for forever, this is good news for right now, and it can impact your life today and this week. And if you've had this discovery before about the news of the Bible and it hasn't impacted you, let me challenge you to pay close attention as well. Perhaps today is the day when God will work and you will be impacted in a very positive way. We're continuing today in our series through the first three chapters of the book of Romans called Gospel Truth. And in this series, we are talking about things that matter. And today, specifically, the thing that matters most is the gospel. We've been looking at this gospel for the last two weeks, and we will continue to look at it throughout this series in Romans 1 through 3. Today, we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. I invite you to grab your Bible, grab your device, open up to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans is in the last half, even later than that, in the Bible. It's in the grouping of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to people and to churches, And one thing that I find interesting about the letters, the the way that we've grouped those letters is that it's basically longest to shortest. You know which one comes first? 
is Romans. Romans is the longest of all of Paul's letters. And in these two verses that we're looking at today, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, we are seeing a summary of Paul's largest writing. The whole book of Romans, essentially in kernel form, is found in these verses. Look with me, if you would, at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul picks up in these verses where he had just left off right before it. Previously, he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And now he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. When we think of being ashamed, we think uh, perhaps of being frightened or scared. Maybe we think of being embarrassed. Embarrassed that somebody would think that, really, you believe that? That's what you think? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And and when he says that, he is saying it in a way that is more than simply, I don't mind. He's actually saying, I'm eager. I'm proud of the gospel. I'm excited for this opportunity to tell you about something. Recently, my wife and I had the opportunity to purchase a new vehicle. Now, normally, I'm the type of guy who scours Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace looking for the best deal, the best value. Features and color don't matter as much. But this time, we went to a dealer and picked out the exact car that we wanted. All the features, the year, the mileage, and found it at the price that we wanted. When it was ready... We went to the dealership and took our old car title, signed it over, did a couple other things electronically. It was quick. Now, I'm going, expecting, based on my history of buying lots of cars over the years, I'm expecting that they're going to want a big chunk of change. And so I've got my checkbook with me, but I don't know if anybody even takes checks anymore. So I've got my debit card, my credit card. I know they're going to want tax, title, tags, the whole deal. So I'm expecting this. I'm waiting for this. Now, we walked out of that car dealership, and they didn't ask me for any money. Payments began 45 days later. Now, if I say to you, I ain't mad about it, you know that I'm saying more than I'm not upset. I'm saying, I like this. This is cool. I want to tell people about this dealership. I want to tell people how cool this was that I was able to drive away with a car that we liked, the exact car that we wanted. This is good news to me. And Paul is saying, I've got this good news that I'm excited to share with you. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what is this gospel? We've been looking at it for the last couple of weeks, and we've seen very specifically the gospel means good news. We've got something to share. Glad tidings is another way we've explained it. We've said over and over again that the gospel is the news that we are far worse than we would even want to admit, and yet God has done for us what is far better than anything we could have ever expected. The gospel is the news that We're far from God. We've 
done wrong. We deserve punishment. We don't deserve to be with him in heaven forever. We don't deserve to be in relationship, in family with him. And yet, God in his mercy sent his son Jesus to earth. Jesus came, led a perfect life, showed us what we should be doing lived perfectly, died sacrificially in our place, went to a cross, the cross, and while on the cross bore the punishment for all who believe in him, all who follow him. He died, but on the third day he got up from the dead. He rose from the dead in order to show that the penalty for sin had been taken care of. He didn't deserve death, but he took it on our behalf. We don't deserve life, but he gives it to us. He gives us life. And so the gospel is the good news that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection can make you right with God. This is the discovery that we need to make the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. Have you made that discovery? Has it mattered in your life? Has it impacted your life? Has it changed you the way God intended for it to make a difference in your life? life. If you've been here at Faith Church with us for very long, you've heard this news, this discovery that we've got for you over and over. And the reason we continue to tell the story is because it's important. It is the truth that matters. We want it to impact your life because it's impacted our lives. We want you to know. And so our question is, have you discovered that the gospel can change your life. The good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the news that you and I and all need to discover. This is what God has done for his people. This is what God does for you if you trust in Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm eager to proclaim this good news. And then he gives us two reasons why he is so eager to proclaim the gospel, why he's so eager for you and I to hear the news that he has. The first of those two answers is found in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The reason Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, first reason he says it's because it is God's power to save. The gospel shares how great God is. It shows how powerful God is, and that's why Paul is eager to tell us all about it. I have friends, and we were with them on vacation recently, and they were sharing with me a story about their family, and they were at the beach, and the extended family was there, and there was a little girl with them, their niece, and she was playing on the sand, wasn't even in the water, and a wave came much farther than anticipated, swept her up, and pulled her away, and she got caught in a riptide, and she's pulling and pulling and pulling away. Her dad immediately jumps in the water and chases her down and gets to her, but the riptide is so strong, he cannot drag her back, and so he's calling to shore for more help, and the girl's 24-year-old brother comes out, and brother and dad together are able to drag her back to the shore, and she is saved. 
Our situation in the eyes of a holy and righteous God is in fact even more dire than this girl's situation. She was ready to drown and yet spiritually we are drowning because of the things that we have done. We don't have the power to save ourselves. Oh, but God does. We don't have the power to make ourselves right. We can do a lot of things. People have a lot of strengths and a lot of abilities, but you know there's just some things we can't do. We can't avoid death. We can't raise ourselves from the dead once we die. We can't live a perfect life in the eyes of a holy God. We can't earn for ourselves eternal life. Only God can do these things, and he does. He did it through Jesus. Paul is saying this is the amazing power of God to save, to deliver people who are spiritually drowning. We are in trouble, and God drags us. He saves us. This is why Paul is so excited about this good news that he gets to tell to people that God can change your life. On one hand, it's kind of easy to say, believe in Jesus, you get heaven forever. That's not really verifiable, is it? Nobody dies and comes back other than Jesus. So, so who else can tell us for sure that it's real? How do we know for sure that it's real? Here's one way. Yes, the power of God is dramatic in giving us eternal life, but is the power of God not also amazingly dramatic in changing lives here and now? Do you know how much people are eager to change right now? Anybody tried to stop smoking? Change is hard. Anybody walk in today and someone was in your seat? Change is hard, isn't it? When I see people change because of what God has done for them, that's how I know God's power is real. When I see someone who is living for themselves now be willing to share with others, that's the power of God on display in their life in their here and now. When I see a student standing up for someone who is being bullied, when I see a coworker realizing that their words have been destructive and they need to change and they stop gossiping, when we see these changes in the here and now, we can know that the change that God has promised for all of eternity is absolutely going to happen. God is powerful. His powerful is stronger than armies, stronger than rulers, stronger than weapons, stronger than hurricanes and tornadoes and volcanic eruptions. Have you noticed how most power is destructive? But God's power, it's creative. The power to give new life This is the amazing creative power of God to create life for us now and eternal life for us forever. God's power is creative. Now, if God can and does these things, why is it then that there are people in this world who aren't saved. If God is able and can save, and we point out that he can save, why is it that not everyone, not everyone is experiencing this power? Not everyone has changed. Not everyone has eternal life. 
The answer is in our verse, isn't it? It says it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God to save all who believe. God's good news, discovering what he has done for us, requires something from us. It requires us to trust that it is right, to trust that he will, that not only can he save us, but he will save us if we believe in him. Imagine that you are going to build a house, and you need to clear the ground and dig a basement, but you don't have any tools. If someone comes along, a friend, and hands you the keys to his dump truck that has a trailer with a backhoe and a bulldozer, and he gives you the keys for all the machines, and he says, have at it, that can impact you dramatically. But those keys do you no good if you don't accept them and go put them in the ignition and start up the machines and use them. It's the same way with the gospel, with discovering that God can save us. We now have to receive that gift. We trust in Jesus. The gospel is God's power to save us. But we must believe. All who believe receive this. And Paul wants to make sure that we understand that all who believe means all who believe. That it's not a good news only for one type of person or one group of people. It's not exclusive in that way. Because the final words of verse 16 read, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now remember, Paul is writing to a church in the capital of the world at the time, Rome. They had been a church founded by Jewish people who traveled from a Jewish area and came to Rome and preached about a Jewish savior to Jewish people there. And while people trusted in Jesus there, guess what happened? Non-Jewish people got in on the action and trusted in Jesus and followed Jesus. And so now this church is made up of people from both Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds. Paul is letting us know that the gospel impacts all people. That's what there was in the world at the time. Now today, that's not the way we tend to divide out the world. We, we see it in different ways. So let me give you an example. When I'm meeting someone for the first time, and they've never seen me in person before, I like to describe to them what I look like. What I want to say is just look for the most ruggedly handsome person in the room, and you'll find me. But I've avoided saying that and went with something that might be a bit more descriptive. I say, I'm the middle-aged white guy with a bald head, shaved head, not bald, bold, shaved head, and goatee. I think you can see that's a reasonably accurate description. I've managed to find everybody I'm looking for giving that description. Now, you can see that about me, but what you can't see is that the rest of my family doesn't look the same as me. My wife, mixed race, darker skin than I have. Our children, young adults, all adopted, come in various colors and shades. So our family just naturally will stick out a little bit. But when I'm going somewhere, I want to know, are we going to be accepted? Are we going to fit in? And once I was invited to a church and I was told, you'll love it there. They're very diverse. 
So I was intrigued, and we went. And when we visited, we found out that they were diverse. They had white people who were young and white people who were older, white people who were well-off financially and well, white people who weren't, et cetera, et cetera. They had diversity in age and economics, but they were kind of missing a big category of diversity that was important to me. That's one of the things I love about here at Faith Church. We have people who are white and black and brown and all sorts of things. We have people who speak English as their only language, and we have people who speak Portuguese and French, Creole, Tamil, and a couple Spanish speakers, a lot of Spanish speakers, right? We even sing some songs in Spanish around here. I have a friend from Puerto Rico who assures me that when we get to heaven, we're all going to be speaking Spanish because it's God's language. I don't know if that's right or not. I, I, I think he might have made that up. But here's what I do know. that At the very end of the Bible, when the Apostle John in the book of Revelation gives us a picture of what heaven is like, it's not made up of just one group of people. Here's what he says in John, uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John says, after this, I looked, and I, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's beautiful what heaven will be like, that God saves people from every group, that God's power can and does save all. It's beautiful when church today can begin to look like what church in heaven will be like. Now, here's my question for us. If God can and does save all who believe, then what about people who have never heard? Are, is it not incumbent on us to help them hear? Because Paul is going to make the case later in the book of Romans, how will they believe on the one in whom they have not heard? You see, the gospel is God's power to save all who believe. Have you discovered the power of the gospel that can save all who believe? If you've discovered this power, now it becomes part of our mission to help more people hear, help more people discover this amazing news, this mercy and grace of God. Are there people in your lives who need to hear this message? We know there's people around the globe who need to hear this message, and we send people. I was talking this week with one that we've sent, and you know what? She stays up late in a vastly different time zone in order that she can be with us today, even as we are on our live stream. You know what? We are supporting that message going to all the world, and we need to continue to do so. We do so as we send, but also in our lives as we speak and as we pray and as we share and as we invite. So Paul is excited about the gospel. He's eager to share it. He says part of the reason is because God is powerful and the gospel explains that. The other reason he's eager to share it, and we see this in verse 17, he says it's, I'm eager to share it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is eager to share the gospel because the gospel displays the character of God, specifically that God is righteous. Now, righteousness is doing what is right 100% of the time. That's something that God as God can do. 
And it's easy to accept that if God is God, he will do what is right. What's hard to accept is that we do what is right 100% of the time. In fact, I guarantee you don't because I know you because I know me. And I know what Paul is going to say in the next two chapters. He's going to make the case that none of us measure up. Now, here's the problem. How can a God who is absolutely righteous, who does what is right 100% of the time, who is the judge, who made the rules, and he sees each and every one of us that we break the rules, how can he be righteous when he also says, I am bringing salvation to this same group of people? And a person who has committed a deed that is worthy of death, I am going to give life. How can that, those two things come together? Oh, the bad news is that we do deserve judgment, but the amazing, incredible news of the gospel is that in God's righteousness, he credits righteousness to his people. Paul is going to explain this throughout the book of Romans, that righteousness doesn't come based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus did for us. Righteousness is based on the obedience of Jesus to all of God's commands. Righteousness is based on Jesus giving his righteousness to his people. And so God rightly judges us as not guilty because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Those sins have already been paid for in Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid the death that we deserved. Jesus himself not deserving it. Jesus himself righteous, bears our sins, and he gives us his righteousness. Oh, this is a glorious and amazing truth. Have you discovered that God indeed is righteous? Have you discovered the righteousness of Jesus? When we see how good God is, how amazing God is, it causes us to celebrate. This is truth, beautiful truth of what God does for his people. When we see the character of someone, it lets us celebrate. I have friends who are on a quest to visit all 50 states. Right now, it stands at 49. You wonder which one they're missing? It's Hawaii. (laughs) Finances are keeping their quest on a little bit of a stall right now, understandably so. If I give them an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii, what is that going to say about me? I know it says you want to be my friend now, but what else does it say about me? It says that I am generous. It says that I care for these people. It says that I'm full of resources. Now, when we see the character of God, that he is righteous and he grants, he gives righteousness to people who are not deserving, haven't earned it, but he gives it because he is capable. He is full of resources. He is able to do what we cannot do. That says something about God. It says that there is something that we can celebrate about God. And so as we see the gospel over and over again, four books in the Bible, by the way, we call gospels, the story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. When we see these things, we can celebrate the character of God, that he is good and righteous, and powerful, and he cares, and he's loving. Paul is eager for us to know these things, that God is powerful and God is righteous. But how does discovering the gospel impact you? How does it make a difference in your life? 
Maybe it hasn't yet, but it needs to. Maybe this is new news to you. Let me encourage you that the first way it needs to impact you is that you trust Jesus. Trust Jesus as your deliverer, the one who can save, the one who does save. Let me encourage you that you can talk to him in the silence of your head and heart and say, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to save me. Please save me. I want to follow you and live for you. If that's where you're at, let me encourage you to talk with someone and share that news with them. Let me encourage you to get help so that you can confirm for yourself that salvation, faith is real. We have people ready to talk to you across the center commons over at Prayer Works. In the chat, just say, I'm ready. I want to talk. Or you can text connections to 97,000 and follow the prompts which say, I want to talk to somebody about God. You can even email us. We want to talk with you about this news. It is important, most important. What about the many of us who are here today and this news is not new, but it has impacted us already. How does today's passage continue to impact us? We've already seen in prior weeks that believing faith is obedient faith that the gospel causes us to live in a certain way. Today, what I would suggest to us is that if we are trusting in Jesus ourselves, if we've been saved ourselves by what God has done for us, then we can help other people find out that Jesus can save them too. We can be ones who share that message with them. We can be ones who pray for them, who talk to them about the good news of Jesus, ones who invite them to places where they're going to hear about Jesus. We can be, as a church, ones who send others to all the world so that those in countries and places that don't have access to the gospel can hear it as well. God's gospel is amazing. It's powerful. It shows us the character of God and in response to the discovery It compels us to help others, help more people experience the goodness of God, help them find and follow Jesus together with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, thank you for your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your goodness. Thank you for your love and what you've done for us in Jesus. Help us, Lord, today to appreciate you. Help us to worship you. Help us to love you as we should. Help us to live for you as we should. And God, I pray for all that are here and are struggling, wrestling with whether or not to trust you completely. Lord, move in their hearts. Help them to see your power and your righteousness. Help them to experience your love. Help them to trust in you. And I pray also, Lord, for those of us who have experienced it, that we would continue to help others to experience this goodness from you as well. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.